You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming online at WERA.FM. Coming to you from Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. There are birds right outside my window. Then that's just going to be part of the soundscape of the conversation with John. That's okay. Okay, great. (laughs) You know, one of the fun things about this show is that whenever the topic of curiosity comes up or people see something in the news or hear a podcast, any anything remotely related to curiosity, they send it my direction, which is kind of fun because it's like, oh. People are really thinking about this. They have an association now with this topic. So that's fun. And every once in a while, somebody will say, you know, I have somebody you really have to interview because of X. And Kate was just like, you really have to interview John. He's the most (laughs) curious person I know. And I thought I should just do that. This is episode number 150 of this program all about how curiosity shows up in work and life. So I'm celebrating with a curiosity conversation inspired by a listener who appreciated curiosity in someone else. I give you John Green. Most of the work that I've done has been in different forms of education. I helped start a school on the Sudbury model, which is to put it in your uh, language, it's a school based entirely on the student's curiosity. They move through their day at their own agency. They're not ever told, this is what you must learn. They're aware of it. They're very, very aware of what they must Uh learn, but they really don't need to be told. so anyway, I helped start that school. I used to work in businesses and companies as a trainer facilitator, uh, doing leadership training and diversity, uh, valuing diversity workshops. And then even with all my hair clients, I'm always looking at what are people dreaming of? What are they reaching for? And then what's in the way? So I, I'm always looking at what's, what's working for people and what's not working and how they sort of step out into the world. And education certainly sprung from that. Many of the conversations I have in the hair chair spring from that. So conflict resolution, conflict is pretty much the biggest thing that stops people from whether they're reaching a relationship goal, a professional goal. It's it's not even conflict, it's their personal relationship Mm -hmm. to conflict that gets in the way. And then when I looked at Columbia's program, it was as, it it aligned with how I saw things already. That I don't see conflict, I see failed mechanics. And the program is all about mapping the mechanics of a situation, uh, both what's working and what's not working. Often the intervention is to enhance what works Mm -hmm. rather than try to get rid of what doesn't work. So all of that's very appealing to me and I'm, I'm just loving the program and uh, what I'm studying and what I'll be working on. 
You heard that right. Educator, entrepreneur, grad student, haircutter. My point? Curiosity conversations come from every direction. You have sort of captive audiences on a regular basis in the hair chair, right? That you treat them as a focus group for exploration of life. I love this. And I wonder, <laughs> is there something, <laughs> is there something special about the intimacy of that chair? It's a, it's a particular kind of relationship, right? Yes, yes. So tell me about that. Well, I mean, we are touching people, first of all, and in this time of coronavirus, we're within, you know, two feet of them. For many people, I'm the only person they've been that close to physically for the last you know, however many months it's been. Yeah. People would invite me to their back garden to do their hair, but it was very, very clear what I was really fulfilling for them was closeness and communication and a place to share. The relationship has the intimacy that you mentioned, yet it also has distance. I don't know anyone else in their family. So they can tell me the intimate details of their four sisters, this is a particular client, who all vote differently and over the last five years have grown apart until one of them initiated a project where they were all telling their childhood story to each mm. other because they were spread out in age and had different homes and different experiences through the years. So this woman could tell me all this detail because I'm not part of her family and I will never meet anyone in her family. So there's both distance and intimacy that allow for pretty great conversations. That's a really interesting observation. I think about it actually in your conflict resolution context as well, that the, the juxtaposition of intimacy and distance, it's a little like a suspension bridge, right? It's the tension, it's the dynamic forces working against one another, but in concert yeah. that yeah. make it work. And in the case of the four sisters, I think, you know, putting my curiosity hat back on, I think, oh, how cool that the solution, the path forward for them was to become curious about their respective experiences within the family instead of making mm -hmm. assumptions or projecting their own experience. What a great story. Well, and frankly, that's textbook for the modern view on beginning a conflict intervention. Adding anything as the expert is the very last thing you do. Yeah. And they talk about mapping conflict. They talk about coordinated management of meaning where you are exploring all the stories that are there and seeing what meaning has this group put together and how did they put it together? So the inquiry part, the curiosity, I mean, the textbook writing professors use the word curiosity all the time, that this is an essential trait of a conflict uh, worker. 
Yeah. So how do you define curiosity? I don't use the word. So that's interesting to think, you know, it just doesn't come up in my vernacular. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Um, interest, um, ongoing, you know, um, kind of a recognition that there really is so much out there to explore. And that you don't ever have really even a tiny window into everything there is to. And I, and I go create people get overwhelmed a little because I'm both digging into what they're doing and then going, oh my goodness, this fits with what you're doing. Oh, have you heard about this? And wait, you know, your thing in this context really sounds like this thing in a completely <laughs> other context. And I can see them go cross-eyed after a while. <laughs> it is sort of this interesting idea about sort of connecting dots, right? Um, pattern recognition. And, and casting out a line or, or pattern establishment. I mean, sometimes it's not mm -hmm. even that there's a pattern that exists, yes. but just that, oh, wait a minute, I see a something here. I connect these dots in a wholly new and different way that puts them in relationship with one another. What do you think of that? How does that work? Does that resonate? Um, yeah, yeah. I just, yeah, nice, nice. So do you think, I know it's not a word that you use, maybe it's not even a term, that, a way that you view the world, but in the, in the curiosity universe, there's a big discussion about it. To be curious, is that a trait or is it a state that one is in? What do you, what do you think? Okay, so there's a corner of my thinking that's looking at probably the different places it comes from. So maybe I'm saying that it's both sort of nature and nurture, that it's, it's a quality, but it also might be a way of being with the world that could even be a little on the defensive side sometimes, that by being curious out, I get to leave me for a moment and be there in the world. So I think and maybe I'm reflecting on myself, but I think I, I and now this is becoming clear. When I first started being a haircutter, I've done it off and on since I was a teenager. The discomfort of being with the public, I would assuage by asking questions. Uh-huh quickly getting the attention off myself. I don't have any of that discomfort now, but I could see in that age, asking questions, being curious, would have been something of a attempt to move past an uncomfortable moment. Um, I really don't know. That's a very interesting question. I actually think at some point this is a this is like a false debate or not a useful one. It's like, well, what if it's both, you know, there's a, yeah. a propensity to be this way, but then there's also a capacity or a willingness or a choice or an opportunity to really be this way. And that an either or on off seems not supported by human nature. Yeah. Yeah. So 
when did you think of yourself first think of yourself as curious do you have a a memory of early curiosity yeah again i don't think i ever thought of myself as curious but i can see looking back that i was definitely reaching out into the world with my thinking and asking you know, not formally asking questions, but looking to see, to understand, um, to draw those connections. Um, I can't think of a time when I wasn't like that. And as a parent, did you, did you either sort of experience that happening with your own kids or cultivate it in any way? I know, Kate has shared the story of you putting science magazines on the breakfast table and <laughs> your children get tired of reading the cereal boxes. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is a man after my own heart. <laughs> so I think um, I don't have anything in the way for going to explore. And perhaps that's what I look at with other people is how can I move things out of the way of their curiosity and certainly with my kids, there's all these hurdles, both in their own psychology and in the world around them, that can be a deterrent to the sort of natural flow of curiosity. Like our school, one of the reasons we don't do an imposed curriculum is because an imposed curriculum says, well, dear, isn't that sweet that you like science, but this is English class. It's sort of shut. It, and, and after a while, that shutting becomes the norm. Yeah. And if you are someone who's constantly bubbling up questions, you kind of learn to put it to the side. And uh, in the marketing of our school, we talk about uh, anything you do repeatedly, you become very good at, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. So putting curiosity to the side in order to fulfill the teacher's directive, people get very good at, unfortunately. So yes. with my students and with my own children, I was always looking for not only offering things, but even looking to see what might be in the way. You know, does the child have an impression of themselves not being capable? of following their curiosity or in some particular direction or of misunderstanding some construct in the world that leads them to shut in a little. So I did do a lot of that work with my kids and a lot of work on um, agency, you know, just go for it, like step out. Yeah, stuff like that. Well, agency, I, this is a word that just keeps coming up in these conversations. Uh, you know, one of the things that I collect is what I call curiosity practices, things that people do that bring curiosity into their lives and in intentional ways, sometimes really big, sometimes really small. And, and a common theme throughout them is the sense of agency. Like I can do something with this situation that maybe others don't see. And I'm wondering, do you, within the school, do you have what I would describe as curiosity practices? I mean, things that are part of the, the culture that facilitate curiosity in, in sort of explicit or implicit ways? Yeah, more 
implicit, I would say. We really do very little explicit. Someone told me once, I should look it up to see if it's true. There's this Zen thing that the last state of being before enlightenment is boredom, is the blankness. Once you've stopped responding to the demands, and in this case with the students, what your parents think you should be learning, what your culture thinks you should be learning, what the curriculum says you should be learning. When all that falls, you have nothing to do. And the staff at the school, we sort of celebrate when we hear a kid say over and over and over, I'm so bored. Oh my God, somebody give me, please teacher, tell me what to learn. And we just zip it. Because after that, and sometimes it's after a couple months of that, the next thing they reach for comes from curiosity. So I think the biggest practice at our school to stimulate curiosity is to stay back and let the boredom settle in. It takes a lot of self-control. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, it so does. I have to point you to James Dankert, who's at the University of Waterloo in Canada, who researches boredom. And wow. Oh, what an interesting guy. And he and I had a great conversation about the intersection and parallels in some kind of surprising respects between curiosity and boredom. But I had not thought about this sequence. Um, Another observation on this whole process is one family therapists felt that our students will never go through midlife crisis. Because in her mind, a midlife crisis is when you once again get back to me. And you say, wait a minute, why am I performing to all these other standards besides my own? And so by these kids, learning early to not perform to other standards, learning early to be bored and curious. They are not going to have to do that readjustment. Well, so so how far are any of your students from midlife? I want to test this hypothesis. <laughs> they have children who are in the school. So we're getting close. <laughs> oh, you're getting close. All right. All right. I want to know. I want yeah. to know. <laughs> And I I think there's another piece to this that comes back to the hair salon conversations. One of the ways that people aren't free to be curious is their own journey through trauma and difficulty that is also constantly in their head. Dealing with the PTSD, dealing with the strategizing to overcome it so that the choices they're making aren't even still yet their own. They're still in reaction to. And I've been very, very aware, and this is part of the conflict thing also, is how much we can't be curious because we're still so busy recovering. Thank you for sharing that because I've actually been thinking a lot about this very question and even the premise of the show about choosing to be curious being an expression of some degree of privilege that you you do need to be free of some of the burdens of 
of trauma, potentially of hunger, of lack of personal safety. And, and I think a lot about actually the, hub- the potential hubris of a title like Choose to be Curious, not accounting for the fact that not everybody has the liberty of that choice, oh. certainly moment to moment, but even year to year. And what do we as a society owe one another to kind of be at a place where everybody would have that privilege. And it's part of the, it's part of the underlying kind of reason for the show to get people to think about like, when does and can curiosity show up? How can I help facilitate that in my life, in my work? And how might I bring that to others? So thank you for zeroing in right there. So I didn't warn you about this, Okay. but this is my big jar of wannabe analogies. It's a literal big jar inside are slips of paper with random words written on them. And you and I are going to make analogies to curiosity with whatever is on these slips of paper. So... Uh, so yours is camera. How is curiosity like a camera? Mine is panther. How is curiosity like a panther? And I have one for the audience as well. So you want to give it a shot or you want me to go first? Well, a camera seems like a pretty easy one. <laughs> no, you go first. I changed my mind. Okay. Uh, uh, how is curiosity like a panther? Um. I I think panthers are quite beautiful and stealthy and strong and, and dynamic. And I think curiosity is all of those things as well. I think it's, it's quite beautiful and it's beautiful when it's dynamic and strong. Um, And that's the best I can come up with. That was pretty good. <laughs> I'm thinking, Whoa. so how is curiosity like a camera? Well, this is good. I'm glad I took the moment to think. So if you just picked up a camera, there's a barrier. Mm. The lens is closed. And until something hits that little button, and I love the old fashioned camera image of it spiraling open, until that moment, curiosity is closed. So Mm -hmm. it fits so much of our conversation that curiosity is there waiting like like a blank piece of film just to be shown what's out there. Yet at the same time, it's behind a closed lens. And what is it in our life that puts that lens open, you know, that has the little button be pushed that exposes that blank film to the world outside. And I I think your program is sort of exploring exactly that. Like, what is it that pushes that button, that opens up that blank piece of curiosity to the world and moving the obstructions out of the way? Uh, that's, That's awesome. I could say that I just want to be the one that helps people open their shutter. (laughs) I love it. I love it. 
I love it. Oh, that's great. That's great. And perfect. What a you know way to bring things full circle. I love that. And audience, yours is compliment. How is curiosity like a compliment? I don't know. Let me know. Facebook, Twitter, hashtag analogy. Well, John, I feel like I need to check back with you at some point and hear more about the program and just continue the curiosity conversation. I just want to say thank you to Kate for connecting these two dots. Yeah, that's nice. It's great. I love what you're doing. Well, thank you. It's a lot of fun. You've been part of a curiosity conversation here on Radio Arlington, WERA 96.7 FM. You can find all my previous shows on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Facebook, all at Choose to be Curious, or on my website at choosetobecurious.com. I hope you'll follow me there and on Twitter at choose number two, letter B, curious, where I hope you'll share your compliment analogy, hashtag analogy. Wow, huge thanks to Kate Terrell for the suggestion and John Green for this wonderful curiosity conversation. Lots of links on my website. Music today is thanks to Warm Body via Blue Dot Sessions. I hope you'll join us for the next 150 episodes. Until then, choose to be curious. I have to say, it's a lot of fun, and it's mostly fun because I just make it up out of whole cloth. Like, I decided, I, you know, nobody's my boss. Nobody's telling me what I need to be, like, defining curiosity for me or anything else. I've had... 150 of these conversations. I probably had a hundred different definitions of curiosity. I don't care. I mean, what to me is interesting is what are people thinking about it? How are they using it? How are they deepening our collective understanding? And can we use all of that in some way for the greater good? That's kind of fun. Well, and you've added to my collection of things I can use to talk with people about to analogy where I'm headed with them as clients because now we can talk about curiosity and I like that and people will have a lot to say okay good I'll be ready no seriously (laughs) what's what's so interesting about this is I have you know I interview people who research this subject they're experts yeah they've done a lot of work on this they know a lot they have a lot that they want to impart and then there are people who have a theory about it and they're and they're sort of advocates for that theory. But then there are conversations with people who have never really thought about curiosity until I ask. And for me, what's most fun actually is those moments where they discover like, hey, this really is meaningful to me. Yeah. I have a strong feeling about this. Those to me are conversation gold. Choose to be Curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say, community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash novahousehunter. 
Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com.